God's Word addresses us from Hebrews 3, verses 1 to 6. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. It'll be up on the screen, but I will be carefully working through the passage, and uh, it'll be helpful if you have your Bibles there with you as I preach. This is God's glorious, wonderful, powerful Word, so let's give our attention to it. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over all God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Now, Father, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Oh, Lord, would you write the beauty, the glory, the majesty of Jesus on our hearts, Lord, and keep us in the faith through this sermon and through the person and the delight of knowing the true glory of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. It's been said that sin, all sin, is cosmic treason. Treason against God who made all things, who sustains all things. And so in offense, any sin is a cosmic treason. But also, I want to show you this evening that all sin is a cosmic tragedy. Any time that we exchange God for something temporary and earthly, any time that we're persuaded gradually, as we've seen already in our book of Hebrews throughout the series, to drift in some way, anything that causes us to lack perseverance is a cosmic tragedy, and uh, I officiated a wedding this week, and so uh, uh, go along with uh, an illustration with me this evening uh, that I found helpful as I was thinking about this. Imagine that a young woman had a godly young man that had proposed to her, and they find the location, they find the date, and it's been about 10 months, and they're looking forward to their wedding day. There's still six weeks left before the wedding. And a young man that she has not spoken to for a long time gives her a phone call. He doesn't know that she's engaged and he has not heard about the news of their upcoming wedding. And so he says, I'd like to take you out on a date. What a massive tragedy it would be for her to say, yes, I'll go on a date with you. I'll entertain this potential relationship when the certainty of the one who loves her 
is just around the corner. It's six weeks away, and she pedals away the love, the faithfulness of her husband-to-be for a temporary fleeting pleasure. Well, this is the temptation of the Christians walking the long road, the long road of obedience in the same direction in the book of Hebrews. They have heard the testimony of Christ. They've been promised that Christ is coming for them. He will rescue them in the end. He's going to glorify them in the end. He's going to resurrect them. But there's other voices whispering in their ears. They're called to run the race, the long race of endurance, keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, but they're tempted to drift away, to lose their focus, and to pedal away temporary pleasures for the glory, the eternal beauty of Jesus. Christian life is not a sprint. Don't become a Christian and go as fast as you can very quickly and grow immediately. God calls us to a long-form commitment to Jesus to fix our eyes on Christ, to run the race the whole way there, and to persevere. And I want us to see this evening three aspects of our passage. First, that we would consider Jesus. This is the what of our calling this evening, that we would consider Jesus. Second, the why of our calling. Author of Hebrews gives us reasons, the why of our calling, namely that Jesus is greater than Moses. And then third, the how of our calling, holding fast and boasting in our hope. First, the what, consider Jesus. Second, the why, Jesus is greater than Moses. And then finally, the how of our calling, of our calling hold fast and boast in hope. So let's consider first the what of our calling as Christians. John Piper helpfully points out about this passage that this is not a text written to non-Christians. Notice chapter 3, verse 1, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. He's saying to them, you are already mine. You are already one of God's people. You have so much privilege being holy and set apart and dedicated to the Lord, and you are set on a course for eternity. You have a heavenly calling. And so when he says, consider Jesus, he's not saying, think about the goodness of what it would be to become a Christian. Think about the glory of what it would be for you to find finally peace and hope and rest in Jesus for the first time. He's saying, consider Christ again. Focus on him maybe for the thousandth time. Look at Jesus and take him in. This is why the illustration of a fiance is helpful. We've been engaged to Christ. We have a day set for glory, what the Bible calls the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we're called to look to our husband in the future who has a promise to marry himself to us. Consider Jesus. This is the main task that we have for you as your pastors when we preach. There is a literal plaque in some pulpits. We don't have it here, which is fine, but there are other pulpits. Uh, The the pulpit in uh, in Ada, a Redeemer OPC, and uh, down in Kalamazoo has this plaque that says, we would see Jesus. This is what pastors do. We hold up Jesus before you over and over and over again, 
Christ is like a diamond with a thousand facets, and we want you as the people of God to consider him, to look at the mighty glory and awesome nature of Jesus. Look at him. Take him in. Gaze at the glory of Jesus. Treasure Jesus, and don't peddle him away for anything else in this creation. Why should we consider him? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. This is the what of what we're called to consider about him. The New Testament only here calls Jesus the apostle of the Father, the one who's sent of the Father, and it immediately uh, invites us to compare, right, the apostleship of Jesus with the ones that we usually think of as apostles. The apostles were the friends of Christ that he taught and trained throughout his ministry. He told them all about himself. He explained the nature of the kingdom. He sent them out to preach the kingdom. He gave them his authority, and he sent them out. But think about how Christ is an apostle. Jesus is not sent on behalf of someone. He is the very word of the Father. He is the very message that was to be preached. It says in John 4, my food, this is what Christ says, my food is to do the will of my Father. John 6, 38 says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Jesus has the humility to say, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. I have another one who testifies, the Father who has sent me. This is the great apostleship of Christ. We saw in chapter 1 that he is the radiance of the very glory of God. The prophets spoke about God in times past in various ways. Jesus is God the very radiance of the glory of God sent on behalf of the Father to show us the glory of the Father. I'm not going to delve very deeply into the fact that he's a high priest. We will learn wonderful things about the nature of his high priestly work. We're going to learn about Melchizedek. If the Lord allows, we'll learn about the once-for-all sacrifice, the fact that he sacrificed himself, whereas priests offered animals... But one thing I want to say about his priesthood, other religions say, here is the way to God, here is the way to nirvana, here is the way to eternal life in some way, experience. Now, if you walk that path, if you do these moral things, you will one day attain this life with God. But Jesus doesn't just tell you about the way. Jesus, as the high priest, opens the way to the Father He's torn in two. His flesh is like the curtain of the temple that was ripped in two, and the way is now opened. He is both the apostle teaching the way, but he's also the high priest opening the way to the Father. So this is why, this is the what of our calling as Christians. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. But the author of Hebrews doesn't just command you, do that. He gives you reasons now, the why of our calling. There's three reasons this evening for why we should gaze, take in, treasure Jesus. This is like a compare and contrast essay. If you had to do this in high school, think about something, 
show how it's similar in some ways and show how it's different. It's going to be similar in one way. Jesus is like Moses in one way. Jesus is greater than Moses in two massive ways. Notice how the author of Hebrews does this. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, the Father, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. The author of Hebrews is saying, I'm going to set Christ in front of you, and the facet of Jesus that I want you to be looking at is his faithfulness. And he's comparing him now to the faithfulness of Moses. Before I read this passage this week, I had no idea that this is a quotation of Numbers chapter 12, verse 8. Moses was faithful in all God's house. If you're familiar with the story, Miriam and Aaron come to Moses, and they have sibling jealousy. They say, has God only spoken through you? And God summons them to his tent, the tent of meeting. And this is what he says about the uniqueness of Moses. The Lord said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. There's the quotation. With him I speak mouth to mouth. That's a very personal way, the way a friend would speak with his friend. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The author of Hebrews is not putting Moses down in any way in this context. He's saying Moses was very unique in the Old Testament, unique in that he saw the very form of God. Others had to struggle with the interpretation of some of their prophecies. They came in riddles and things that they didn't fully understand. Moses saw the very form of God. You should not challenge Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He was very faithful in the house of God. But notice the second way that Jesus is massively greater than Moses. It's an amazing thing that is said here in Hebrews 3, verse 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Trace it out with me for a second. Moses is like a house. Jesus built Moses. Jesus is the builder of the house. My father-in-law, Rachel's dad, is very much into architecture, and there is a house in uh, the Heritage Hill district of Grand Rapids called the Meyer May House. And when we first got here, we walked around this amazing home. It's a free tour. If you're interested to go sometime, I really recommend it. And we gloried in the windows of the house. It's strange proportions, but light bursts through this home. We saw spectacular things hung on the walls that were original from the design at the beginning. We walked up the stairs, and we were just uh, mesmerized by all the proportions and the interesting design of the house. But put yourself in our shoes and think, why was this so spectacular to us? We were not just thinking about the house itself. We were thinking about the designer of the house. This house has been designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And you look beyond the home and say, who made this? This is spectacular. This is glorious. Whoever did this did an amazing job. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't just look to Moses. 
Moses is a member of the household. Mem- Moses is part of the house. Jesus made the house. Jesus is the architect. Jesus is the builder of this home. So we're called to consider, to bask in, to glory in Jesus because he's like Moses in that he's faithful in all God's house, but he's infinitely more glorious because he is the builder of the house. But then finally here in the middle section of this sermon, Jesus is not a servant but a son. Moses had an important task in the Old Covenant. The author of Hebrews compares it to someone who is put in charge of all kinds of important affairs in a home. In the ancient world, you assign someone as a a servant in your home and they care for very, very important things in the house. But that servant does not inherit. That servant does not own the home. The son is the one who owns. The son is the one who will come into an inheritance. And so if you're tempted to be impressed Merely with Moses, the author of Hebrews is saying, look beyond Moses, look beyond the servant who cared for all kinds of things in the house, and look to Jesus, who is the very inheritor, who is the son who belongs eternally, to whom everything in the house is owned. This is where the calling comes very particularly to us this evening The people walking the road in the book of Hebrews were tempted with being distracted with all kinds of things. We've seen a strange fascination with angels that's corrected in chapter 1. In this section, perhaps there was some commitment to something in the Old Testament, uh, Moses' maybe ceremonial laws that had been fulfilled in Christ. But anything in this world, anything of this creation that's passing away that becomes to you a competitor with Christ. Anything that you hold on to, that you pedal away the glory of Jesus to hold on to and say, God, this is a part of my life that you have no business intruding on, is cosmic tragedy. To trade away the glory of the faithful one, the glory of the one who was faithful in all God's house, who was as glorious, as much more glorious as a builder of a house is than the house itself. Whoever would be trading away the very son who has set to inherit the house would be, caused, would be doing an incredible, tragic thing. The book of First Peter tells us that we are like living stones, First Peter 2. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And remember what's already been told to you. You are holy. This is addressing Christians. You are the holy brothers and sisters. You are those who have a heavenly calling. You're headed toward heaven already. But keep your focus on the glorious Son of the Father. Do not betray Him. Do not trade Him for anything less than the glory of the Son. 
1 Peter 2 goes on to say, you have a remarkable task now. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a story to tell if you're a Christian both with living in line with the gospel and speaking about the gospel, now that you are God's house, you have a remarkable privilege to tell the story of a redemption. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. So there's the three reasons to focus on Jesus. He's faithful like Moses in all God's house. He's infinitely more glorious as, infinitely more glorious as the builder of the house is in the house itself. And in Christ, you are, an in, you, you are an inheritor of all things. You're set to inherit the whole new creation. Don't peddle that away. Tell the story of God's redemption in your life. Well, finally, the how of our calling. We've seen the what, to consider and bask in the glory of Jesus. The why, the greatness of Jesus over Moses. How do we do this? As we close, as I said earlier in the sermon, perseverance in the Christian life does not come by learning something you've never heard before. It doesn't come by some uh, strategy or some teaching that in the, the history of the church has never been discovered before. Perseverance comes by you seeing over and over and over again some facet of Christ displayed to you in Scripture, in the gospel, and you saying, I am mesmerized and amazed and delighting in this Christ. Notice what it says in verse 6. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The author of Hebrews is saying, you have such an abundant treasure. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Don't peddle it away for anything else. Remember in the first epistle of the Corinthians, Paul is addressing a church that's very divided. They've aligned themselves with different leaders. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I'm going to align myself with this leader that I like, and I'm going to form a church or a faction against the others. And Paul cuts right through all of that and says, all things are yours. All things are yours. 1 Corinthians 3, 21. Let no one boast in men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. You've been made into the very house of God himself. He lives and dwells in your presence, and you have been written into the deed of eternity. Jesus is the inheritor of all things. In him, you will own all the new creation. Everything in heaven and on earth has been written into our future possession. You're already possessing it by faith, the gospel tells us. But the problem, of course, is that those things seem very far away for us as Christians. This is why hope is so necessary. We live our lives in the day-to-day, 3 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon, trying to get through the week. And we look at something that looks very appealing, something that looks very satisfying in the moment, and we say, I want this more than Christ today. I want 
sexual satisfaction in my way, the way that I want to pursue it. I want to make a name for myself today and not pursue Jesus in this moment. I want to take what has not been given to me or even bask in the best gifts, family, possessions, things that God has said, this is for your enjoyment, but we use them oftentimes in a way without thanksgiving, in a way that trades away our hope, that forgets our future glorious inheritance. And so how do we hold fast our confidence and our hope to the end? Well, one of the glorious things about the gospel as we close here is underneath and behind and all surrounding your persevering. The the, uh, book of Hebrews is calling you to real effort in persevering, real focus in persevering. But behind that reality and around it and surrounding you as you persevere, as you hold fast, is always the reality that God has been holding on to you. If any of us make it to the new creation, it's because God caused us to persevere. It's because He held us fast. It's because he led us into repentance. It's because he forgave us and he changed us and he's walking with us day after day after day. Hold on to Jesus. Treasure the ordinary promises that you've heard many, many times and do not set them aside for anything in this creation. You remember in the story of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. That Christian finds himself in the giant despair's castle. And he and Hopeful are discussing all kinds of different options for themselves. And then they spend the night praying on a Saturday evening. And this is what is spoken about them. A little before it was day, good Christian as one half amazed, broke out into this passionate speech. What a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk in liberty. I have a key called promise that I am persuaded will open any lock in Doubting Castle. And then Hopeful said, that is good news, good brother. Pluck it out and try it. And then Christian pulled it out of his bosom, began to try the dungeon door, whose bolt, as he turned the key, gave way. And the door, the door flew open with ease, and Christian and Hopeful both came out. What will sustain you? What will cause you to consider Jesus and hold on to him? It's the reality that he has been the kind of faithful brother that has laid down his life for you once and for all, that he is the very apostle sent from the Father, that he is the great high priest that has laid down his life for you. And often our despairs, our insecurities, our doubts have us right at the edge of giving up. And we think, Lord, I can't even put one foot in front of another. And the gospel promise is right there in front of us. And we serve a Savior who the Father says about him, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And if I have given Christ for you, how will I also not with him give all things to you? Consider this Savior who's loved you, who's stuck with you, who's kept you, 
who will never let go of you. And this is the way that you will hold fast in confidence, boasting in nothing but the cross. Paul says, may I never boast in anything but the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As our despairs haunt us, as our insecurities plague us, Jesus holds us fast. And the author of Hebrews says, glory in the eternal Son of the Father, full of grace and truth for you. And remember that he will get you all the way to heaven. And the one who started a good work will certainly complete it. Let's give thanks. Our Father, we confess our forgetfulness. We confess our fears to you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you abide with us. That you cause the delights of this present world to fade. Lord Jesus, thank you for fulfilling all that the law and the prophets anticipated. And though we could be uh, condemned and struck down for our sin, Jesus, instead you were struck down. You did the opposite of what we do, Lord. We often exchange heaven for this creation, this world, and yet you took on our flesh You traded the comforts of heaven for our temptations and sufferings and cross. And Lord, would you enable us to hold fast to you, to boast only in you, to walk humbly before your face, and to know that all the while, as we head toward our heavenly calling, you held us fast the whole way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing Abide With Me as we close this evening.
The song that we'll uh, close with after the benediction is an invitation to consider Jesus, to reflect on him, to look at him, to uh, look at all the different ways that he works both in creation and redemption. We'll sing Ferris, Lord Jesus, after the benediction. Dear people of God, he loves you as he blesses you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen.